Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It's the start of the 2 o'clock hour on Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. And I guess Fiddy and Walker, if you wanted to call it that. You want, you want to be a part of the show title? Yeah. <laughs> I actually pitched to that whenever Jeff told me he was hiring you guys that I wanted to be included in the show title. Yeah. Uh, he just laughed at me and moved on. But the other guy whose name's on the show is is showing back up in here. More importantly, so oh, is my food. there we go. Yes, the delivery is here. We have Taco Bell in the building, a couple of Cokes on deck. You have the big bag of tacos in there. Hey, it's Pepsi. I can't. Oh, don't have to Pepsi. Sorry. It's it's very different. How excited are you right now, Fiddy, that Taco Bell is here? I'm, I mean, I eat Taco Bell pretty frequently, so I'm not, like, overly excited. I'm just hungry. Okay. Well, there you go. I was over here starting to starve, and, <laughs> you know, I was over here losing weight. Well, that's what I was asking. Please don't do that. And... Uh, <laughs> You said what, Flounder? What were you saying? You're talking about... <laughs> I think I got your double-decker taco. Oh, you did get a double-decker. So well, so there is a way that you can get it. You get the cheesy gordita crunch, and you just take out the spicy ranch. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. That is a pro yeah. tip. You guys are welcome for that pro tip here on Weston Walker. We can continue to talk about that later on. There's been a lot of fast food conversation. That's how we roll here on Weston Walker. We'll also have Doug Branson joining us in just a moment at 220. He'll be joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Transitioning now to talk a little bit more about the Carolina Panthers and the Seattle Seahawks. It's kind of crazy. As I was asking earlier, and you can text in too, 704-570-9610. If Seattle is still a rival of Carolina because of some of the matchups that they've had really in the last decade, but I went down the list and kind of looked at the last handful of matchups, and then we can keep on going a little bit deeper into their matchup history. 2019, that was the last time we saw Kyle Allen have an awful game for this Carolina Panthers team. Now, it was a second-to-last start, but the Seahawks won 30-24, to Kyle Allen threw three interceptions. It was the second to last start for Kyle. And then the next game, that would be when Will Greer, he'd start against the Colts. He just kept throwing to CMC. So CMC would get the 1,000, 1,000-yard season like Marshall Falk did. Because that's all really Carolina was playing for at that time. But since then, Kyle Allen would go on to Washington. I think he would start maybe a couple of games for Ron Rivera coaching that franchise. But yes, that was the second to last game against the Seattle Seahawks. And then it really wasn't uh, it really wasn't happening for him here in Carolina anymore. Fiddy, I know that you were watching some of these games in the past that like when you look at Carolina having the Kyle Allen quarterback experience, this is when it really all started when when Carolina couldn't figure out that position anymore. Yeah. I mean, it was after Cam mm-hmm. who played in 2018, I believe. Yeah, and then it was Kyle Allen, and then we tried to figure it out. We still couldn't do it here in the Queen City. Yeah, didn't he win like five straight games? They got to five and two. We started talking, is Kyle Allen maybe the future? Remember, this was a guy that was a highly touted prospect yep. coming out of high school. That's right. He was supposed to be the next one of the next great signal callers in the NFL. Maybe he'd figured it out. And then, you know, some games like that Seattle game happened, and it really became evident he wasn't going to be that guy. But 
Boy, did Ron Rivera love trotting him back out there over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, he kept turning the ball over constantly after an initial start where, I mean, Wes, there were a lot of people that thought, and they were making the the, the statement, well, maybe Kyle Allen fits this offense better than Cam Newton because Cam Newton was still injured at the time, and it just never really worked out for Kyle, and that's when it all kind of started, which it's still, we talked about this yesterday. It's the number one thing this Carolina Panthers team has to fix, and Sam Dahl. Arnold is going out there hoping to make it two good starts in a row against Seattle this weekend. Yeah, and it's going to be a tall task for him to do so. Um, Like I said, on the road, I think it's going to be interesting with Deontay Foreman being a little banged up. We'll see today if he's able to, in fact, go. Uh, Coach kind of made it out that he's not too worried about us, so maybe we shouldn't be. But if he's not able to go, I think this makes this game all the more intriguing for Sam Donald because that means more of the onus for the Panthers' offensive success is going to come on him. And so uh, I'm not right. sure that he's ready to take on a task like that in Seattle with the 12s, with uh, no, bro. a uh, Seattle bunch that's going to be ready to go. Yeah, so Deontay Foreman, I think Joe Person had this tweet out there, a part of the athletic, that – Deontay feels it's it's going to be a 95% chance that he plays, so you do feel pretty good about him trotting out there onto the football field. But if he doesn't, what kind of chance do you give Carolina if he's unable to go against Seattle this weekend? Oh, man, I feel like every NFL team has a puncher's chance, but with a team that seems to be so dependent on what this man does, I'm going to take it down to probably a 10% chance or something in that area. He matters that much. I think so because they're so dependent. I'm not sure Chuba Hubbard is ready to be a bell cow back. Now, maybe if the offensive line really just comes out and dominates the line of scrimmage and just makes it to where there's no way Chuba Hubbard can fail, then perhaps that can change things. But I think Foreman, not only what he brings as far as production, but I think the mentality that he brings, and that's the thing a lot of people have to look at as well. The way he runs the football as an offensive lineman, nothing gives you more hype than seeing your running back running through guys, punishing guys. That makes you want to block that much more. So I think the mentality that he brings to that offense will also be something that will be missed. Yeah, Joe Person did tweet out at 1247, Deontay Foreman was out there in full pads today, and then he acknowledged that Foreman said yesterday was 95% certain he would play against Seattle despite his foot injury. So all signs are good that Deontay will suit up against Seattle. Now, I do want to go back to the second most recent matchup between these two teams, because this one was a heartbreaker for Carolina fans. So Seattle won 30 to 27. The Panthers were up 27 to 20 with about seven minutes left after Christian McCaffrey caught a touchdown pass from Cam Newton. So then there's three minutes and 30 seconds left. Okay. Only three 30 Seattle down 27 to 20. Russell Wilson hit David Moore for a 35-yard touchdown reception, and Cornelder was in coverage. David Moore basically mosses him. They tie it up. Carolina, they get the ball back. Driving a little bit, eventually stall out. Graham Gano has a shot at a 52-yard field goal. Misses it. They give Seattle the football on a short field. Russell Wilson hits Tyler Lockett for a 43-yard reception. Tyler Lockett caught it on Captain Munderland. They run the clock out. Sebastian Janikowski, yes, Janikowski kicked a field goal for them to win. So <laughs> 30 to 27, Seattle would win. Brutal, because if you also go back to that year in 2018, that was the time actually 
that Carolina got off to the six and two start. And then if they would have beaten Seattle, that would have allowed them, I believe, to go seven and four. But that brought them to six and five, Mm -hmm. losing that game. So that was, yes, we all point to Pittsburgh in that season being the real moment where it all came crashing down for Carolina. But in that moment against Seattle, man, you could have extended the above 500 record by a couple of games. But instead, you were closer by just one above 500. Huge loss for Carolina in that matchup. And that was when Russell Wilson was cooking in Seattle at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it's a totally different time for those guys. And Lockett <laughs> will be out there on Sunday with this receiving core. It's going to be a handful uh, for the Panthers. Yeah, and that one was really tough here recently. And that, that's why I think a lot more fans, in the text line at least, you can text in 704-570-9610. We had the question leading off. If Seattle and Carolina is truly still a rivalry anymore, most fans wrote in no. There were a couple that still said yes, this is at least some type of rivalry. But it's because Seattle has won way more than Carolina has within the last decade. We can go back to 2016, and I want to ask you guys if you remember this. Carolina got blown out. 40-7 to was the score in 2016. It happened on Sunday Night Football. So you might be asking, all right, why are we about to dig deep into this game? Do you that remember? was a game that Cam didn't start. <clears throat> That's right. Cam Newton does not start this game because of a dress code violation, according to Ryan I Rivera. I remember that. So what happens? Derek Anderson, in prime time, Derek Anderson throws one pass in his start to Mike Tolbert, bounces off of his hands, it's intercepted. So if you look at the box score, Derek Anderson is 0 of 1 with one interception. And then Seattle would go on to win 40 to seven. Cam Newton talked about this afterwards. He said, quote, he was offered the chance to borrow a tie, but without a collar, it would not work on short notice. He said he couldn't find a dress shirt that fit his six foot five, 245 pound frame. So Newton boarded the team's charter flight wearing a black turtleneck and a blazer. And he was temporarily benched because of it. Seattle would go on to win 40 to seven. How angry would you be? If you were benched for a dress code violation, do you understand those are the rules and it just didn't happen? Or are you talking about Cam Newton in that situation, Carolina not trying to get embarrassed in prime time? Were you a little bit more frustrated with Ron Rivera benching Cam Newton at the beginning of that game? Um, Especially if I'm still dressed really nice and I still get suspended. But I mean, I guess the coach had his rules and I think Cam, you know, not misunderstood, but just chose not to do it. Couldn't so, find anything that fit his frame, apparently. Right, right. Uh, this you know, situation, I'm going to go man. with Ron, man. I like Ron, so I'm going to go with Ron. Yeah, people were mad. People were mad after that because – and it wasn't Derek Anderson's fault. I mean, it was just like – Because if they win the game, nobody's mad. Well, and I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and you can text in again, 704-570-9610, it was Derek Anderson rolling out, throwing to Mike Tolbert, but it was Mike Tolbert who couldn't corral it. And then that was the interception. Yeah, Smoke, the Panthers historian, shaking his head as he walks by the window. Do you remember? You remember that game a good bit, Fiddy, watching Carolina just get destroyed? Oh, yeah, because it was, as you mentioned, it was Sunday night football. At the time, it was a rivalry. It was a big uh, a big game for Carolina in, 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 in that season. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why people love Ron Rivera, because he was true to his word. He stuck to his guns. And how many other coaches would have let a simple dress code violation go by the wayside because it was the starting quarterback? A lot of them. Probably. Ron wasn't letting Cam put himself above the team, knowing it could cost his team a chance to win the game. And that wasn't ultimately why Carolina got beat. But 
Oh, yeah. I remember listening to this station the next day. I was about to say, it was a hot topic on sports radio the next day. Yeah, Chris McClain, I think, melted down like 18 different <laughs> times over Cam Newton not wearing a tie. All right, if you go back to the other matchups before then, that's when it actually gets good for Carolina. So that was the Super Bowl year where you go to the playoff matchup and you had um, somebody said get the facts right. That was Gettleman benched him, not Ron. I thought Ron. Rivera, I thought it was Ron Rivera, but we can go back and kind of look at that as well. Um, but if you go to the playoff matchup, that was when Carolina starts it off really with Luke Keekley intercepting Russell Wilson, returning that for a touchdown. It's my favorite game I've ever watched at a bar in all my life. I was at draft when that was still existing close to bank of America stadium. Mm -hmm. And they had all the screens out there that play happens. And everybody goes absolutely bonkers. It was so much fun. It set the tone for an eventual win for Carolina to go on, eventually face the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC championship game. And Carolina would eventually of course go on to lose to the Denver Broncos in the super bowl. But the year before that, that was when Greg Olson caught the game-winning touchdown. And that game in the regular season against Seattle, I think that matchup showed you Carolina was for real because they were 5-0 and at that point. Yeah. And then when Cam Newton delivers to a wide-open Greg Olson in stride to score the game-winning touchdown, man, that was when we were like, okay, none of these 5-0 and starts that some teams will get off to and then eventually, you know, possibly miss the playoffs. They, they start to, to mid out, if you will. Now Carolina goes on to have a 15 and one season. And I felt like that was the game. We all are like, okay, this could be a really special year. And two of those games that, that were a part of that special year were victories against Seattle. Yeah, that was a crazy game. And like you said, it did solidify the Panthers that year. Um, you know, I do watch the Panthers and I do <laughs> a vested interest in those games. So that was a yeah. great matchup. Uh, I was interested to see what they were going to do in that environment against LLB and the team that looked at, that was looked at as a Super Bowl favorite in Seattle. And they went in there and got the job done. And they had to battle uh, that entire game, as many teams do when they go to Seattle. You have to fight the crowd, that noise, the weather. It was gloomy. Everything you wanted in a matchup was Seattle. And they found a way to get it done with a huge play by uh, Cam Newton. Well, and I think those two wins, that was the birth of whatever you might consider a rivalry. Because before that, it was Seattle winning. They beat Carolina in the playoffs in 2015. I believe that was the... Uh, yeah, that that was a playoff loss that Carolina experienced. And then the three games before that, rock fights. Just boring football if you did like offense because the three games before that, yeah. it was like 12 to 9. I, I don't have the, uh, the games in front of me right now. I'm trying to bring them up here. But they were rock fights in those. But I think the 2015 Super Bowl run, that's what allowed there to be some type of rivalry between those two teams. And that, that was what was so fun. So don't know if that really exists now. But it certainly did at the time. We did not like the Seahawks. The 704 number wrote in the text line. I flew out to Seattle for that Sunday night football beatdown and sat on the front row on the 20-yard line that Derek Anderson play happened right in front of me. The rest of the night was miserable after that. I would imagine it would be one of the worst games you could attend in person if you were a Panthers fan. <laughs> it's Doug Branson joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline to talk about the Hornets' loss last night to the Brooklyn Nets. It's coming up next, Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Always get a little scared when worlds collide. 
It's exactly what happens on these types of segments when Doug Branson joins us. But before we go to him, I have to ask, why did you have the evil laugh as soon as you hung up, Fiddy? Are you doing something sketchy when you're on the phone with Doug? Like, is he about to sabotage this segment based off of your advice? What's going to happen? You really don't listen during the during the commercial breaks. Like, you're in the studio. I but can't hear Doug, Fiddy. I don't know what he's saying on the other side. So when you laugh, I get a little scared. But did you not hear what I said to him when I called him? No, not no, really. No, it's because you weren't listening. No, I wasn't listening. So You're he right answers the phone and he goes, this is Doug Branson, all nice and professional. You uh-huh. should take some notes. Okay. yeah. We'll and do. I said, oh, is this the greatest podcast producer in the world? Oh, I do remember hearing something like and that. And he was yeah. like, that's what I tell myself. And I said, well, you have to because Walker isn't one with the compliments. And oh, that's but, why I laughed. Oh, okay. So it really wasn't that funny and you were just laughing at your own joke. No, it was extremely funny. I was hoping you were listening, but as we just learned, you weren't listening and... I mean, he laughed, I'll so be li- two people thought it was funny. I'll be listening to this guy. It's my co-host. It is my producer. He is the best podcast producer in the world. It's Doug Branson of Locked On Hornets and his Substack. Every Hornets box score on everyhornetsboxscore.com. Doug, you're on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Appreciate you hopping on, man. How are you? I'm great. I mean, especially because you guys have mentioned that I'm the best podcast producer in the world a couple of times now. I mean, I'm ready to go. Yeah. I mean, if you aren't checking out Locked On Hornets simply because of the imaging and because of the producing that Doug Branson brings, then you are missing out. What I'm here to ask you, Doug, is after yet another loss to the Brooklyn Nets last night, it was really close. And you did have a lot of young guys seeing some key and clutch minutes like Bryce McGowan, Sky Jones, and you had Teo Maladone getting some minutes too. Is it safe to call this a moral victory despite the official loss? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's certainly a moral victory. I mean, I think you can look back to the win against Los Angeles, uh, the Clippers, and say that was a moral victory as well. You know, Kawhi Leonard comes back, Paul George comes back. You only lose by two. The injuries are obviously having an effect. Uh, you've you've got veteran players with Herculean scoring efforts, Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre consistently scoring 20 points a night, but they're having to rely on their deep, deep, deep bench, and that deep bench is uh, full of youth, and and the youthful inexperience is showing itself. Uh, you know, especially in the fourth quarter when they need winning plays, occasionally they are getting uh, offensive fouls that lead to turnovers and stifle runs, and, and so when you're playing teams with amazing talent like Kawhi Leonard, like Kevin Durant, like Kyrie Irving, then yes, I mean, it's going to be difficult for this team to win. You know, what I think is obvious, and I think it's painfully obvious, is that this is not an awful team. Uh, it's, it's not a team that coming into this season, you know, Vegas wasn't very high on. It, it's a team that is missing a lot of talent, but they're trying tremendously hard, and it makes you wonder, what would this team be if they have been, you know, had they been healthy all year? Well, and I think that's a part of the reason why they've had so many offensive woes this year. But the last three of the four games they played, they did reach 116 points. The other time they did not reach that was against Milwaukee, but their defense has been excellent this season. What are they figuring out on offense, despite some of these injuries that allow them to go way past the century mark? Well, I think, you know, guys are shooting a lot better. Uh, I think uh, Terry Rozier, three out of the last four games, has shot over 37% from three. They're not shooting a ton of threes, which I think is probably a, a product of, of some of the players that they're missing and some of the strategy shift that is happening. I mean, they've gone to the rim a ton because I think they've got players that can attack the rim, that that can finish there. Uh, they're just not kicking it out a lot, which is not surprising because who do you kick it out to? I mean, you know, you're not – Mason Plumley is not stretching the floor. Uh, P.J. Washington's shooting has been – 
kind of on off throughout the season. There's just not a lot of talent sitting there in the short corner ready to knock down three-point shots. So they've just been relentlessly attacking the rim. Uh, and, and it's not. And again, that's not a surprise that they're coming up short in the fourth quarter because I'm sure, you know, especially the starting unit is expending a lot of energy offensively, uh, taking a lot of contact, not coming up on you know to the free throw line enough, but taking a lot of contact, a bruising. By the time you get around to the fourth quarter, you know some of that uh, fatigue probably starts to set in. Doug West Bryant here. What do you think about PJ Washington? How frustrated do you get with him sometimes? Only one point in the second half of that game when that game was so close and they really could have used some big contributions from him. So, you know, I think the offensive, the shot-making inconsistency is certainly frustrating, but I think more frustrating than that, honestly, is the defensive rebounding. Uh, There was a a key defensive rebound late right before he left with, uh, I think, with an apparent eye injury. Uh, Right before that, there was a crucial uh, defensive rebound that the, the Hornets really needed to make in that fourth quarter and they couldn't get it, and P.J. was right there, and, and you know he didn't get the block out against Evan Mobley in that double overtime loss to Cleveland. And there have just been multiple instances where he's had an opportunity at a defensive rebound and has just not shown a level of physicality or want to to, to get those crucial uh, rebounds, and, and I, I think that's frustrating. I think it's, it's certainly frustrating to Steve Clifford, who has put an onus on getting defensive rebounds this season. It's part of the reason why Nick Richards didn't play at all in that second half, I think, is, is physicality and defensive rebounding prowess. It's been an issue, and I think, you know, P.J. Washington, his defensive rebound numbers are down season over season, uh, and, and that's that's been a problem because the Hornets have been getting getting beaten on the offensive boards, and they just absolutely cannot afford to, to get beaten there. And then a lot has been made of, of Mason Plumley and his presence, especially late in games with his free throw shooting. And a lot of it sometimes I feel is maybe the size and the rebounding aspects, but only two fourth quarter rebounds uh, yesterday. He did have three assists. But what are your thoughts on Mason Plumley's place in the Hornets lineup late in ball games? Well, I think he's the best center option that they have. I mean, I think he may, you know, he makes the most sense. He's a veteran presence. He doesn't make a, a ton of mistakes on the defensive end of the floor. I think some of the fouling issues that he had earlier in the season on the defensive end of the floor uh, have uh, alleviated themselves over the past few games. Uh, and he's the, the best defensive rebounder that they have at the center position. It, you know, wh- whatever you think about Mason Plumlee, I think it's, it's probably more an indictment of, where, of, of their just center rotation overall that Nick Richards has not been able to, to show enough physicality to take over that starting position and that Mark Williams, their draft pick, isn't necessarily ready to do that either i think what mason plumley has done to his credit is provide them with some playmaking that they have been sorely missing without Lamelo ball i mean he's consistently finding cutters uh going to the rim and that's been terry rozier kelly Oubre, Jalen mcdaniels i mean they run that play multiple times every game in fact uh brooklyn really good defense they finally snuffed it out after after two times getting getting cut and and mason up top throwing the pass brooklyn finally adjusted and got a turnover on it but the Hornets are running that consistently, and they can do that. Now, of course, the problem is that Mason, and this goes for Nick Richards and, and Mark Williams as well, although he hasn't seen the floor, is none of the center options that they have can play outside. They don't stretch the defense at all. Uh, you saw it against L.A. Uh, uh, Zubak, he was just sitting in the lane, uh, you know, camping in the lane, and so was Moses Brown, the, the, the backup center for the Clippers. Uh, you can do that against the Hornets. You can just sit in the lane and, and wait for the shooters to come to you because – there's no threat from Mason Plumley or Nick Richards outside, and, and that's, that's an issue for them offensively. 
It's Doug Branson. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's still happening, Doug. I'm still struggling, man. Goodness gracious, here on the radio. Mm. It's it's Doug Branson on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. We talked about this on the podcast earlier about the bench and whether Steve Clifford and the starters are still trusting that bench unit. Only 15 points from the five guys that suited up coming off the pine last night. What do you make of the trust level in some of those younger players coming off of the bench right now? Oh, I think it's pretty evident that, that Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre are taking matters into their own hands and taking a majority of the shots. And you can include P.J. Washington in that as well. He's, he's taking a, a ton of the shots. And, you know, I think it's a product of the fact that Clifford has to play two starters with the bench. He cannot – There's cer- certainly he can't go to an all-bench unit. But even when he plays Rozier with, with, with the four bench guys that he's been playing, those lineups – have been apocalyptic. I mean, they've been an absolute disaster on both ends of the floor, and so you have to play two starters. And, you know, they haven't gotten a lot of offensive consistency really out of anyone. And, again, that goes back to the youth and inexperience that they're dealing with. Guys are having to develop in real time. And, meanwhile, they are are in these games against good teams they have a road, a really tough road trip coming up. So they need, if they want to save this season, they need to accumulate a couple of wins in a few of these games that maybe they're the underdog in. And so when you have all of those factors at hand, it's going to be reasonable for guys like Rozier and Oubre to say, all right, we're the team leaders. Uh, we're, we're the veterans. We're the best offensive players. We're going to take matters into our own hands. It's just come at the expense of guys like Bryce McGowan, who who really has nothing to do except just stand in the corner and hope that an offensive rebound gets kicked out to him. They're just not running a ton of plays for Bryce. Now on Kai Jones, you know, Kai is just making too many mistakes right now, too many offensive fouls set on these screens for them to run a ton of the offense through him. He really has to just, when he's on the floor, hope that an offensive rebound putback opportunity comes his way uh, and, and hope that he can maintain some of this playing time even despite some of these fouls that just kind of make your head hurt, especially in the fourth quarter of tight games against really talented teams. And, Doug, when you talk about that, especially the trust with these young guys that they have on the bench right now, who do you trust the most or who do you feel like the Hornets should trust the most Trust the most out of these young players that they have on the bench? Well, Taylor Maladon, I think, is uh, certainly uh, of the bench players, has uh, shown the most control, I mean, I think back to the days, uh, the, the Kimball Walker tenure, and, and apart from that year where he had Jeremy Lin backing him up, I mean, I just think it's it, it's crazy to think about it. Kimball Walker had the kind of steadiness in, in, in the backup point guard position that Teo shows. I mean, he every time he enters the game, he's he's really good for like a quick five points. I gave him the nickname on Locked On Hornets, Rapide Sonk, which is French for quick five, because it seems like every time he checks in, it's, he's going. He's putting his head down, getting to the basket, getting an and one, and then following it up with another layup and transition. But even when he's not scoring, I mean, he's just commanding the offense in, in, in such a good way. And it, it really makes me wish that they had one more point guard, either DSJ or LaMelo, back in the lineup, because then you could see Teo play alongside Terry. If you look at the numbers, the lineups where Teo and Terry are able to play together, those lineups score and they defend at a really good rate. When Rozier is the primary point guard, that's when there are some offensive problems, and when Rozier and Oubre together are guarding you know, the, the opposing guards, that's, that's when defensively you, you've got some issues. And so, you know, it, 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 I think Teo has played the most under control, 
And the most surprising, because really, again, everything that he did prior to coming to Charlotte, at least in, in, in the pros, you, you would not indicate uh, the player that he has been this season. So it's it's been really cool to watch. All right, Doug, I, I can't get you out of here before you give us the last nickname that you came up with for another player on this Hornets team. Jalen McDaniel scored 19 points last night, really helped them out late, a couple of and ones, ISO buckets for Jalen McDaniels. What nickname did you give him? Well, look, I mean, this, this offense has been easy to guard at times because they don't, you, you know, unless Terry really has it cooking, they don't have a ton of players that can just easily take you off the dribble, beat you one-on-one. You know, oubre has been able to do that a little bit uh, uh, as well, but they don't have that just player that really commands the defense's attention, and so moving the ball has been difficult at times. So possessions break down. Offensive possessions break down. You get into your first action, it doesn't work. You get into your second action, it doesn't work. And sometimes you need someone to catch a grenade with three seconds left on the (laughs) shot clock and knock a shot down. And that has been Jalen McDaniels this season. I have dubbed him the bondsman because he bails out (laughs) offensive possessions time after time for this Charlotte Hornets team. You know, he's taken on the role left behind by Gordon Hayward when Gordon was injured. Gordon was the guy that if a play broke down and you weren't running it for him, you can throw in the ball quickly and he could get you a bucket in the mid-range. Well, that's been Jalen. He could take you off the dribble. Sometimes he gets to the rim, but he can pull up and shoot over the top. And, and that's, that's been something I think, you know, going back to your earlier question about why the offense is, has uh, perked up a little bit, it's because Jalen has shifted more into transition finisher and, and guy who can bail out the offense by shooting in the mid-range and less taking less three-point shots, and I think that's actually opened up the offense a little bit. All right, Doug bailed us out. A lot of Taco Bell talk today, so maybe we can call him Ooh. Doug the Bale Bondsman, Bondsman Doug Branson, whatever nickname you wanted to roll with there. That's him on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Doug, we appreciate it as always, man. Thanks again. Thanks, Doug. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right, you can catch him on Locked on Hornets, the podcast on any platform, including YouTube, and you can catch his Substack every Hornets box score on everyhornetsboxscore.com. Just real quickly going over some of his comments before we go to the last fitty flash of the day. I do think you can celebrate some of the guys' expanded role like Jalen McDaniels. I've been impressed with his development. Man, second-round pick a few years back, going into his fourth year into the league, really is becoming a weapon for this team because there's just... There's just not going to be enough 6'10 wings that you can have on a roster. If if Jalen McDaniels brings you that type of length, that type of defensive instinct, and can shoot threes, even take you off the dribble a little bit, which has been the expansive part of his game, Really impressed with Jalen McDaniels, some of the other guys, whoever you've been impressed by. Watching the Hornets lose, yes, the last couple of games, but also, I mean, they're down so many guys, and also they're playing a lot of young players. Well, I mean, it's kind of obvious. I like Kelly Oubre, what he's been bringing as far as just the aggression and bringing a mentality uh, to this Hornets team as far as just never giving up, always attacking, and no matter how much you like how many shots he may take from behind the arc sometimes, but he's taking them and he's trying to do his best uh, you know, to make sure that his team stays in the basketball game. And then as far as just, uh, you know, some of the underdogs, so to speak, on this roster, uh, I like what I've been seeing from Bryce McGowan's, though, as well. Like I said, I, I said you can't teach the aggression. This is a guy that looks like, you know, if he fails in the NBA, it's not going to be because he doesn't want to. When he comes in the game, he's looking for a shot, 
but he's doing it the right way. He's not being overbearing, and he's just being an aggressive guy and, and just really bringing it and making the most out of the minutes that he has. And I think there's a lot to be said there. He's shooting 45% from the field uh, and you know also 45% from three, but he doesn't take many of those. But, uh, yeah, I like I like McGowan's, though, as well, what he's been doing in the in the times that he gets in. All right, you can text in the Garage Door Guru text line, 704-570-9610. Uh, 704 number wrote in, why are you guys willing to give Hornets a pass because of injuries, but not the Panthers? It sounds like a double standard. That was my burner. <laughs> is, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Carolina's – what are the injuries they've suffered recently, yeah, though? The Panthers haven't been that I banged guess, up. They I mean, have injuries at head coach and quarterback. Well – head coach <laughs> that was self-inflicted yeah that was mad rule self-inflicted injury yeah i can't think of any if they had some injuries i would absolutely give them a little context to some of the yeah, losses they they've experienced decimated like the hornets no i mean the hornets injuries yeah, have been the crazy. equivalent of if brian burns Derek brown jc horn and dj moore were all out right now yeah 100 percent um granny pat wrote that doug guy knows his stuff and an 817 number wrote Jalen mcdaniels is horrible we so, need a granny pat well that, that, that 817 guy just doesn't watch the nba then because Jalen mcdaniels is not terrible oh no he is not Yo, we horrible. need a granny pat phone call man I've, I've listened to the station for a long time i always enjoyed her <laughs> phone calls i think we need one for oh you ask and you may receive we'll see if that happens <laughs> coming up but let's go to the last fitty flash of the day go ahead and flash us <laughs> every time i'm gonna say it um first off not that you guys care i'm officially sick and it's not from the Taco Bell. I still have half of my quesadilla to eat. I finally seen Jacob Degrom in Texas Rangers gear. It's tough. Oh. Um, if his arm were to fall off, I wouldn't really feel all that too bad for him. <laughs> um, That's really. Would you rather see that happen or Drake May transfer to a different school and keep Jacob Degrom with the Mets? Ooh, that's a good one. Now I'd rather Degrom's arm fall off. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> that was quick. Stanford has narrowed down its finalists for its head coaching vacancy. And what would your response be if I told you that notable cheeser Jason Garrett oh, wow. is among the oh, finalists God. for this position? I, I, I can't tell you that I'm too surprised because another pinky out organization or program in the Duke Blue Devils were also linked to Jason Garrett when they were trying to figure out who their head coach was going to be. Ultimately, they made the right decision in Mike Elko, but Stanford going after Jason Garrett, I just don't know what is so attractive about him being your head coach. Yeah. I, I I can't see it, him experiencing I'm a whole lot of success. So, no, I can't imagine you guys are all that excited either. Yeah, I'm, I'm not here for that. Uh, I think Stanford needs somebody that's going to bring a little bit of a splash. I think Jason Garrett might bring a little bit of a splash just because of his Pro background, he's on TV, but I, I think Stanford needs a little bit more juice, though, than Jason Garrett. I mean, you you know him as well as anybody, Cowboy fan. What do you think about Jason Garrett as a coach? I mean, look, dude, there's no denying he is an elite clapper, as Matt Rule would say. I just want him <laughs> off my television. That he's guy creeps me out. And also, he's he just sucks. Mm -hmm. He brings down the greatness that is Maria Taylor. That it that that could be argued, yes. Jason Garrett not exactly cut out for this uh, whole TV thing. NBC, besides Maria Taylor, don't know how many other great hires that they've made recently because they also brought in Drew Brees, and that was a failed experiment for like a year, oh, right? Yeah, yeah that yeah. didn't exactly go very well either. One more segment to go before the Kyle Bailey Show comes up with Willie P hosting Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
that he managed to make somebody mad on the Garage Door Guru text line. 817 number has been writing in about the Hornets. He said, Jalen McDaniels is horrible. Fitty said, you don't watch basketball if you think Jalen McDaniels is horrible, which I appreciate. I didn't realize you were a part of the McDaniels fan club. We just had a member like Willie P walk into the studio and talk about Jalen for a little bit. So after you said he must not watch basketball, 817 member wrote in and said, I watch every game, buddy. No, when he drops yeah, that when buddy. He dropped that buddy. He dropped that B word. It's yeah, on. especially when you're fighting. And then he said Jalen McDaniels can only drive to his right. He has no left hand. Every time he drives left, it's a turnover. And then he said, I've been watching every game since 1988. I'm going to go out on a limb and pray for his sake. Um, he missed, you know, it was just a, a, a spelling error. He meant to say daddy. And he <laughs> called me buddy. <laughs> because if you've been watching every game since 1988 uh, and these are your takes, I'm thankful you don't have a radio platform. Because okay. Jalen McDaniels is not is not a terrible basketball player. Is he a limited basketball player? Yes. That's why in a perfect world, he's a bench player, you dumbass. All right. I that the, the, ah! the strong <laughs> Jalen McDaniels strength. It is bringing out the worst in us right now, but I also kind of love it as we end that and go and look, you're not going to get any reprieve from that. Willie P is going to come on here as well and stand for one Jalen McDaniels, which I absolutely love. Now he did miss a, he's missed a couple of clutch open threes the last couple of games, which that's been certainly, you know, that's not been great for this team, um, but really got off to such a nice start at the beginning of this game against the uh, the Clippers and uh, even against the Brooklyn Nets last night. We got to see him perform pretty well also. All right, let's uh, go to what's on tap. What's on tap. It is brought to you by Twin Peaks. You can join our e-club to stay up to date on all things Twin Peaks and score free stuff. Visit TwinPeaksRestaurant.com slash Peaks dash club. If you want to watch some NBA games tonight, it'll be the Clippers. As we just talked about, they're taking on the Miami Heat. If you are team Tank for Wimby, then really you're going to get one of these guys losing in San Antonio and Houston. So one of them is going to pick up a win as well. So if you're a Hornets fan, you can absolutely see that. Is there anything else we should be paying attention to? What's on tap? Trying to bring up some. As people want to see Baker get sacked. Yeah, you times do have, a night. That's true. That is true. Baker Mayfield could be suiting up for the Rams tonight. I don't think it's definitive, but you do have the Raiders taking on the Rams on Thursday night football. Yeah, it does not sound like an exciting game. Baker Mayfield, I mean, really, after two days of being on the Rams roster, could be throwing some passes. If you were Sean McVay, would you be putting Baker Mayfield in there at quarterback in exchange for John Walford and Bryce Perkins? Yes, I know the names I mentioned, but at least they know the offense a little more, having been on the roster longer than two days. I think you could give them a package of plays that you want to run. And they can talk to the quarterbacks in the helmet, so you could tell them, you know, different things. So I probably wouldn't be opposed to it. All right, what about you, Fiddy? Would you start Baker Mayfield tonight, despite the short amount of time on the roster? Yeah, just so we can really figure out if he's good or not. Because I feel like if you keep on giving him time to prove he's he is good and he proves that he's not good, mm-hmm. he's just taking up, you know, a roster space. If this guy sucks, doesn't he be starting in the <laughs> NFL? The sooner rather the later. I mean, also, like, if he was to start... I would consider turning this game off. It does kind of make me want to tune in a little more, too, and it has nothing to do with how good Baker is. I just want to see how he plays the first game ever with the L.A. Rams. Uh, King David wrote in, dude, that was Nick Wilson times 10, LOL. I think he was trying to say that about your rant there, Fitty. 980 number said, buddy must not be a Jalen McFaniel. 
Yeah, we, we, we stand that text here. We appreciate the play <laughs> on the name Jalen McDaniels. Let's go to Fitty now. Find out what happened on this day in sports history. What you got, Fitty? Well, guys, on this day back in 1940, in an NFL championship game, the Bears, Chicago Bears, that is, beat the then Washington Redskins 73 to nothing. Mm. For the most one-sided victory in NFL championship play. Wes, I think, isn't your your Niners Super Bowl win over the Chargers the largest Super Bowl margin of victory in, in Super Bowl history? I think it was. It was it was pretty lopsided. Um, I know when y'all beat the Bills that first go-round, too, that was pretty bad. It was like 52-17 to 35. Y'all won y'all's, what was it? The 56-21? Okay, uh, I just <laughs> get our research team on it. Yeah, wow. let's look. Thought you'd know that. And then uh, <laughs> on this day in 2012, Texas A&M quarterback Johnny Manziel became the first freshman to win the Heisman Trophy, uh, taking the top individual prize after a record-breaking freshman season in College Station. Notre Dame linebacker Manti Teo finished a distant second, and Kansas State quarterback Colin Klein who's now the offensive coordinator yeah. for the Big 12 champion Wildcats. He finished third. Um, Were you guys all in on Johnny Manziel? I was, in, for sure. In, in college, absolutely. I thought he was going to be a good pro, too. I so bought it in. Oh, I, I mean, bought it in. I was kind of hoping that he would be a good pro. Yeah. I, I can't tell you that I was real confident that it was going to happen, but I loved him in college. He was I've so much fun. I've always believed that LeBron just used his powers to make him fail in Cleveland. Oh, really? Because had, had had Menzel became a bigger deal in Cleveland than LeBron, I mean, LeBron would have pouted and, you know, traded you know traded himself somewhere else. Yeah, but Johnny Menzel, he was a petulant child. Oh, he was there awful. was no way he was going to succeed. And I the mean, 49ers won 49-26. I knew it was like 49 points. They're scored. the 49ers. I saw, right. I saw, yes, both have nines in it. I saw, <laughs> I saw the Sports Illustrated article on Johnny Manziel from Wright Thompson one time talking about how Johnny acted even on the golf course because his dad was a really good golfer and how Johnny would just act a huge problem on every single hole that he was playing with his dad and his dad was just calm cool and collected going all across the course and i was like yeah man if you if you were to talk about the quote-unquote intangibles about being even keel playing the qb spot that wasn't john you're gonna wreck the league remember that oh yes text i mean it's such a boss move though he also did his little money sign as he walked across oh, the yeah. stage i did i did like it i remember being so mad Jerry Jones did not draft him, and instead he chose some offensive lineman by the name of Zach Martin right, out of Notre Dame. Right, right, And to this day, Zach Martin's the best right guard I've ever seen. I mean, Zach Martin. Plus, didn't we have the Travis Frederick draft selection when they were supposed to take somebody else, too? But they were always going to take Frederick, but, like, there was somebody else, people, maybe Manti Teo. I know I, he was in the same draft. The thing about Frederick was they had him as a second or third round grade on the board, uh-huh. and they traded back into the first round to take him. That was what was the whole issue with that i mean he was good until he decided to retire a little bit early so um yeah some good travis frederick and zach martin knowledge dropped on you here on wes and walker by the way somebody else wrote in doing our homework for us and we appreciate that 49ers versus Broncos, 55 to 10. Yes. Was the most lopsided not even Super Bowl. Close. Yeah, not even not even close. 55 to 10. Yeah, Plus, another blowout we can go to is the Buccaneers Raiders Super Bowl matchup. That was like 02. Oh, and uh, Denver Seattle. 
Yeah. That game was uh, over after the first play. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, crazy, Demarius Thomas actually set a Super Bowl record for catches in that game in a loss, and nobody remembers it because... Yeah, because they had to throw because they were down 45 nothing after two minutes. Immediately starting off with a botched snap and a snap right. going three feet beyond Peyton Manning's grasp, and eventually What's the Denver Broncos would lose. What's worse than the Super Bowl being a blowout? That's just the ultimate I'll, letdown I'll say to this. In, in the age-old question that probably would take more of a segment than the 30 seconds we still have on this show, but I would rather I think I would rather have the Atlanta loss than getting blown out like that. I know that's a hot take, but like the Atlanta 28 we'll to 3. Oh hell no. See, but I can't but at least you can say you were the best team for a while. You can't ever say that if you get destroyed 55-10. It's close, I know. We'll it's, pick it up tomorrow. Really not. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yet. All right, Wes. Thank you very much. We will pick that up tomorrow. That'll do it for Wes and Walker. I'm here for it. It's the Kyle Bailey show with Willie P hosting alongside Smoke Ludwig Sports Radio 927 WFNZ.